Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. If you got a bulletin, take a look at it with me where it says silent meditation. This is from the section of the confession on the perseverance of the saints, and it fits along with what Pastor Jerry is going to preach on a little bit later this morning. Those whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere in it to the end and be eternally saved. One of the ways that God helps us to persevere in our faith is by gathering us once again for worship. So I invite you to stand as I read to us the call to worship. This is God calling you and me to worship him. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven and return to the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see everybody. And let me welcome you here this morning uh, to the service. If you're here visiting with us at Grace this morning and you'd like to leave us a record of your visit, you'll see a guest card somewhere there in the pews. If you would take a moment and fill that out, we can either put it in the offering plate when it comes by, or you could just leave it in the foyer out there on one of the tables. But it gives us a chance to at least make contact with you. On the back side of that is also a prayer card. And so we want you to know that uh, if you are here this morning and you're not a guest... Uh, and you still have a prayer request or something that you would like to share with us, you can fill that out and put that in there. Or if it's something private that you would just like to share with us, please just put a note on there that said, I would like to have the pastor call me. And it is a great way that we get those, and they'll be placed in our office, and then I'll be glad to call you, either Nick or I, and we will touch base with you so that we can pray with you or help you with any way that we can. So please know our intention is not just to see you on Sunday and let you leave but to be able to follow up and to build a relationship and to help minister to you any way that we can. And so you got a bulletin this morning, and you'll see several announcements on the back side. Again, I'm going to let you read through many of those. We're ending our time here at summer, and so a lot of things are starting back up here in September. And so if you are in the Sunday school classes and things are moving forward, we'll be meeting with the teachers. Uh, I'm excited to say that Francis Sutherland is going to help me in more of a Sunday school director role. So teachers, uh, give us some time, and she will be there. She has actually started walking through the entire building and classrooms, taking inventory of what we have. And so I think the elders were going to give her like a million dollars to buy new stuff. <laughs> and uh, at least we, that would be nice. But she is there to help me. Uh, she will do a much better job at being to help you where to store supplies, get supplies, the things that you need. Teachers, we want you to know this. We know that if you're a great teacher, but you have to come and you don't know where things are, you don't know what you can use, you don't know how the room is to be, that can be very discouraging. And so we're trying to work, and she'll be our link to be able to help you in whatever you need for your room, if there's a way that we can make it uh, more conducive to teaching and, and helpful for you, that's what we want to do. So please pray for us as we move forward with that as well. As we go. And then as we read through these, you'll see the activities, the classes that are still going. Um, we had a wonderful summer fun day. I appreciate all the, the youth mission team and the helpers. We went over to the Maryland Manor, had a wonderful turnout. I got a chance to even talk with some of the dads that were in the neighborhood that stopped by and to be able, I did not realize someone made the comment that they thought there was over 600 homes in an area. So it was an amazing time for us to go into the park and uh, the youth to teach the lessons and the, the youth leaders to, to lead the music. So thanks for everyone who made that a great success as we share the gospel uh, with those families there. 
And then lastly, let me say this. For those of you interested, we've tried to do it in a, in a wonderful way of ministry. Uh, again, let me clarify, um, our trustees and our Colibarium team have never tried to say this is what you should do or shouldn't do. But we are in a place in the world now where many, many people no longer are being buried, but they're being cremated and placed in what is called a niche. And so our church has voted to go forward. Many of you know that. We've already ordered some things in the future or planned it. And now we're to that point where we've already had some deposits and people buying their niche. I I feel weird when I say that because I'm used to saying buying their plot. Um, Now we're not selling a plot where we have niches. And we're not selling them as profit-making, things like that, but in order to buy it is there. So if you are one of those families or you've been praying about it, we've already located a place out here, out in the open place where it'll be decorated. There'll be a slab poured and some benches put out. Um, It's going to be a niche that holds, uh, I think, 30. Am I close, Scott? 30-some? 20 uh, boxes to begin with, but it's made to add more. And so, but here's the point. If you've been praying about that and are ready to get a spot, please sign up. You can go online. Uh, You can make your deposit. If you have any questions, please see Scott uh, Van Zanten. Scott, raise your hand. And um, if you don't know them, we'll help lead you to him. But they have spent several years putting this together. And so now we're at that point that if that is something you're interested in doing in your life, we want to be able to minister to you just as well as if you were needing a plot somewhere for your family. So please let us know, and we're ready to get that going forward so we can order it. But other than that, you'll see many things. The summer's coming down. I appreciate everyone who's helped us make it through the summer. We look forward to an exciting fall. Uh, We look forward to an opportunity to continue sharing the gospel here in the area. So uh, let's take just a moment, go to the Lord in prayer, uh, thank Him for all that He's blessed us with, and we hope that you'll have a a last couple weeks here at summertime to be together. And then we're ready to fire up and all the schools are back. So whether you're in homeschool and you start back either now or later or whether you're in the public schools that start this week or whether you're in the private schools that started last week, um, it's wonderful how God has knit our families together um, so that our church can minister to all of those families as they feel the best choice for their children. And so we want to remember all those families as well. So let me lead us to the throne of grace And if you would join me in prayer in just a moment in the Lord's Prayer, you'll see that printed inside the red hymn book if you need that as we say the Lord's Prayer together. But let me lead us to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, again, we come this morning as you have called us to your presence to be able to celebrate together as a body, to be able to worship and to lift you up and to thank you, Lord, first and foremost for who you are. Lord, you are a God who loves us and created us and are forming and fashioning us into the image of your Son. Lord, we thank you for our families. Lord, for the children and the grandchildren that we'll minister to. Lord, that as they go back to school, uh, whether they begin their homeschooling or their corporate schoolings or their house groups or in the public or private schools, Lord, wherever they are, Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen the families, that you'll allow the parents to to be involved and to see their children grow and to realize, Lord, that time goes so fast that the time could be cherished, that it could be used to watch them participate in their lives. Lord, help us as a church be there to, Lord, not take the children and run with them, but to walk beside the parents and to encourage and help them any way we can.
as they watch their children grow in the Lord. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to minister not only to the newborn, but to those who have died. Lord, we pray for the families, uh, the family of Gretchen Peary, uh, as they continue to uh, recover. We pray for upcoming funerals and the families who have lost loved ones. Lord, we pray for our seniors who are wrestling with ministering to each other, finding the right ways to do that. I pray that you'll strengthen their homes and their decisions as they make the best decision for a parent or for a spouse or even for a child, that, Lord, we would find comfort in knowing that you're helping, that you're there, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, all this we realize as we come to worship that it's because you call families together before you. Lord, we were created in your image, and today we want to lift that up. We want to thank you for calling us and for saving us. Lord, we know we haven't earned the right, we haven't accomplished anything, and we've never done what we deserve uh, to be placed in your presence. But we also know because of our faith in your son, Jesus Christ, we can boldly come together and pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's take a moment in our hearts to pray and confess our sins together. And this morning I have chosen here, right out of the scriptures, uh, taken from the ESV version. This is Psalm uh, 51, is what it should say, I believe, 1 through 12. Uh, Listen to what David writes when he wrote this uh, together. Pray this with me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Amen. What a blessing that right there... In Scripture is the prayer that brings us before the presence of the Lord. And of course, he too found the assurance of being labeled 
one that was after God's own heart. And you too, knowing that your sins are forgiven, are marked as a child of God. Listen to what Psalm 130 says. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And I can promise you, according to the scriptures, that he too will redeem you from all your iniquities and transgressions if you just bring them before him like David did. And when we find that cleanliness before the Lord, it gives us the confidence as we confess our faith as we confess what he has done for us and what we believe. And so here this morning as we work our way through the larger catechism, join with me as we share our common faith with our forefathers back in the Westminster Confession. I'll read the question if you'll join me in reciting together the answer. Question 38 says, why was it requisite that the mediator should be God? It was requisite that the mediator should be God that he might sustain and keep the human nature from sinking under the infinite wrath of God and the power of death, give worth and efficacy to his sufferings, obedience and intercession, and to satisfy God's justice, procure his favor, purchase a peculiar people, give his spirit to them, conquer all their enemies, And bring them to everlasting salvation. Only a mediator who is God could do that. Question 39 writes, well, why was it requisite that the mediator should be man? It was requisite that the mediator should be man, that he might advance our nature, perform obedience to the law, suffer and make intercession for us in our nature have a fellow feeling of our infirmities, that we might receive the adoption of sons and have comfort and access with boldness unto the throne of grace. It was only he that was a man able to do all that God required for salvation. And so question 40, why was it requisite that the mediator should be God and man in one person? It was requisite that the mediator, who was to reconcile God and man, should himself be both God and man, and this in one person, that the proper works of each nature might be accepted of God for us and relied on by us as the works of the whole person. God saves you, the whole person, body, soul, and spirit, through the works of Jesus Christ, his son. Let's take a moment as we reflect on that. We're also going to take a moment and give back to the Lord. So I'm going to ask the ushers at this time if they would come forth to help take up our offering. And while they do that, our music team is going to lead us uh, in a song that they'll eventually teach us.
rest our minds for a moment as we search your words that lord we may truly hear your holy spirit let him prepare our hearts and prepare us for what you have before us in jesus name we ask amen you may be seated and again we say thanks to our music team and our ushers and everyone who helps i know the the sound and the video it's amazing what it takes for the service to be able uh, to do what we think it needs to do uh, sometimes uh, we need help, and so we appreciate all of you who have used your talents and gifts to help us. This morning, I want to quickly jump right in to what our preacher in Hebrews is reminding us in the sermon about the importance of our faith. And I want to back up for a moment and just remind you that I, I promise I am not scouring around your neighborhoods, I'm not eyeballing your houses. I'm not listening to private prayer requests. I'm not doing what I can to figure out where you need help so that I can preach to you. But yet at the same time, I really pray I can preach to you. I really pray that as the Lord works, you're able to see the importance of who Jesus really is. We are not just another religion providing opportunities for people to gather together and to treat the humankind nicely. That would be saying we're an anthropological gathering of trying to help mankind be all it can be. We are actually proselyting. We're actually called by Jesus Christ to make disciples, which means we're called to go out and sometimes have to confront others when they say things we know are not true. We have to be able to stand up for the things that we say are true. We try to win people over to listening to the Holy Spirit so that when the conviction comes their way, they'll respond. But we also know along with that comes the other side that of all the people we've reached, I could ask you to raise your hand and maybe count how many people you know that you have seen respond to the teachings of the scriptures to serve in the church for a while and again we are reminded that they not all stay this morning I want to speak to you about that predicament just how far can I fall you know for kids growing up I remember the first time I was on a youth trip in Indiana at this point I was in seminary taking a trip to Indianapolis and I was coming home on the van it was late one of the girls said, do you mind if I sit up front? I said, sure, go ahead. So she sat up front, and it wasn't 10 minutes into the road. She just started going. And I thought, well, she'll keep me awake. I heard everything there was. Everybody else was sleeping in the back. We were coming back until she said this. She said, 
Pastor Jerry, let me ask you a question. I said, what's that? She said, how far is too far? And I think every head in the van went like this. <laughs> because they were wondering, what's he going to say? So whether you're in that relationship of, have I crossed the line? When do I know it's too far? Maybe it's not even in relationships. Have I drunken one too many? Have I tasted just a little too much? Have I eaten more than I should? Have I said something I should have never said? You see, we all have it all over our lives. We find ourselves in places where we wonder, did I cross the line? Have I gone too far? Am I able to be recaptured? Well, that's what Hebrews 6 is all about. We've been starting to learn. The preacher writes us, listen carefully to his words as we listen to the preacher telling us, about this situation begins in verse 4. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm in holding him up to contempt. Then he gives a parable right in the midst. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But that same rain that falls, he says this in verse 8, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. And though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. And you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness have the full assurance of the hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Man, I have so much I want to say to you this morning, and I'm not sure how fast uh, I could get through it all. I hope I will, but I want to challenge you this morning that maybe you're here this morning saying the same thing. Have I fallen too far? Have I actually gone to a point where I can't return and the Lord will not accept me and I give you this answer up front look what it says in verse 4 it is impossible then jump back down to verse 6 to fall away and then come back to repentance I'm telling you it is impossible to be saved and then to not be saved and then to be saved it is God's words not mine it is impossible for that to happen now, I won't go into all the details of the text. I'll let you go into the, the uh, deep study of it. But you do need to understand, if you look through the first several verses, we're using the third person plural pronouns. Them, those, they, what's happened to them, if they. Those are the words that are used. If you jump immediately to verse 9, we go to the first person plural, which is now all of a sudden changed in the middle to the we, the us, what we have. 
I think you need to understand that there are many interpretations to this passage, and many of them based on words, in which I'll show to this morning, are sometimes futile. That the point of the passage is that the writer is preaching to those who he truly believes are saved. He's challenging them in their salvation. And he says that when he comes to the we portion of what we know is better for us. But the challenge is to them, to those, to they. Let me just summarize. To those that are amongst us, that are really not part of us, but just look like us. That's the summary of what's coming out in this text. So I want to tell you about a few things. First, we'll look at this predicament we're in. Then I'll take you to looking at the partakers that are coming from this. Then we'll look at the produce that comes about. And finally, the perseverance. Look at what comes from one text about the importance of the situation. Let me begin with this predicament. Why is it a predicament? It's because we're talking about people losing their faith, it seems to be, when we know in Scripture that's not true. The predicament goes back to the days of the Reformation, goes even beyond. You could go back to the days of Pelagius when he argued about the free will and the sovereignty of God. Was it Augustine or Augustine against Pelagius? Was it one who was saying that overarching our own decisions have the right to determine what takes place in life? Or do we truly realize that every choice we make is still under the sovereign care and choice of God? We would take the side today that has become known as the Reformed, and we would say, along with many other teachers of our history, that we truly believe the sovereignty of God and the choice or freedom of the will coincide side by side throughout history, yet always beneath the sovereignty of God. The choices we make are not mistakes. We said this earlier, and I want to expound on this. The choices we make fall right into the will of God, whether we realize it or not. You might say, well, how can that be? I could take you to Acts chapter 2, where Peter is preaching. And he says to the people, this man Jesus whom you crucified. You know, there wasn't one person at the crucifixion of Jesus that stood there and said this. We have to do this. We have no choice. God's predestined it. He's got to die. He's got to be crucified. And even though we hate him, this is the way it has to be. So let's just get it over with. No one said that. What they said was we hate him. We want him dead. He's a liar. He's a lunatic. He's taking the place and destroying our teachings of our faith of Judaism. We want this man gone. And yet in the same passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 2, we are told this. This man whom you crucified, you did it according to the predestined plan of God the Father. Which means even when we make decisions within our freedom, they are truly our choices. God does not invade our human freedom and responsibility in such a way that we have no choice. But he's such an omnipotent God that when the foundations of the earth were set, nothing comes beyond the boundaries of his sovereignty. The predicament that the preacher has is that we really have today what exists in what is known as counterfeit Christianity. 
It's that whole movement of Christianity in which people can choose their own faith, make their own decisions, make their own structures, believe what they want, and still call themselves what? Christians. It would be so nice if the world would just come out and say, we no longer want to follow the Bible. We no longer want to be connected to Jesus. We want to do things our way. We believe times have changed. We believe we ought to be just loving to one another. And as some movies would say, all we care about is world peace. And yet, let's come up with a name for them. What do we call the people who want to look like Christians, be known as Christians, but not really be Christians? What could we call them? How about hypocrites? I mean, that's a biblical word, not mine, right? How about apostates, right? Those who are, how about those who have fallen away? You see, the Bible gives us all kinds of words, but people don't like those terms. See, the predicament is we have a lot of people who want to be in the Christian crowd, but not part of the Christian body or the faith. We get to a point where we begin to challenge the truths, and so we realize what the writer is saying here is for those of you who think, okay, this person was saved and has now fallen away, how far can they go before they come back? That's an impossibility. You cannot re-crucify Christ and have a whole other plan of salvation. You must bring him to open shame, and you must crucify him again and hold him up. In other words, the writer is saying this, for you to say that you can be saved and then to lose it and then come back is to say you can choose what kind of savior you want and what you can do to him. And the writer simply says that's what? Impossible. It's impossible. We must understand that that's not true. John chapter 10, you can mark these down, go to them later. John 10, 28 gives us the truth of the story when he says this. All that the Father has given to me, I have lost how many? Yeah, hold your hand up. I'll let you do that. Go ahead. I've lost none. Throughout history, we do not have any recorded incidents of those people who Jesus reached out to save, truly brought into the family of the kingdom. God convicted. The Holy Spirit brought them in. And then Jesus said, I'm tired of you. I don't want you anymore. Not one. It's never happened. How many of you have ever said to your children, never say never? Because never's a what? That's a long time. And yet Jesus has never lost one. You have to begin to ask yourself, well, then what's the predicament? Romans chapter 8 begins to tell us of the whole story. You can turn back there. Most of you know it by heart. But Romans 8 is what is known as the golden chain for many people. When we write about this little story that he says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then he says this, for those whom God foreknew, he predestined. We know the word foreknew, translated to be foreloved, is when Adam knew his wife. He loved his wife. It's the word that is used there. As uh, Jeremiah tells us, that even before the foundations of the world, even before I was in my mother's what? Womb. You see, we begin to look at this word foreloving, in which God has a plan, and this word to predestine, to preplan, and to prepare it to happen, all comes about for those of us who are called according to his purpose. Why? To be conformed to the image 
of his son. See, the predicament was this. There are those people who are seeming to wanting to change the rules to say, well, if I choose to serve Christ, I will. But when I'm done serving Christ, I won't. And then at some point, if I change my mind to come back, I what? I will. It's an impossibility. The predicament is simply this. Jesus saves to the uttermost. If you are a child of God, and I'm not saying to you, let me do it as the preacher would do it. If they are children of God, if those that claim to have the truth are of the truth, then they can never fall too far. For they are in the grip of grace. They've been adopted by the Father, and they have become a child. And once you're a child of God, what? You're always a child of God. If that were not true, and God did not adopt us and give us an inheritance for life, then we could simply say God is just a foster parent. Maybe some of you know God as a foster parent, a great parent, only for a period of time. And maybe this morning you need to be adopted. You need to profess your faith and stop living in a counterfeit Christianity and start living according to the truth. How do we know that? First of all, we get through this predicament. You cannot lose your salvation. Okay, you are held for life. Second of all, look at these partakers. Let's call them that. They are those that listen to these words that they give us. They are the ones that have been enlightened. They have been the ones who have tasted. They've been the ones who have shared in, in his goodness. These are the words that for so many people, they have tried their best to say, hey, look, it's all based on what the word means. It tasted isn't really all of it. And enlightened doesn't mean you've really been shined completely. And there's been a many of people who've tried to play on the words. But folks, I will just tell you that these are all participle words. They should be putting in the I-N-G on the end because these are the people that are having enlightened they're in that condition they're living amongst those that seem to have the truth having shared they're the ones that are there together with as a companion having tasted they know what it's like to be a part folks i wish i could preach a sermon on it but i'll tell you just simply this those are just simply common words in the greek they're just common words the focus is not on the word that is used that doesn't come until later on. These are just simply saying, in a nutshell, that these are the partakers of the church. These are the ones who have brought into the family of God. They've come in. They're practicing and they're participating. And better yet, they're partaking of the activity and the benefits of the church, yet they're not really part of the church. We would separate those two in our thinking of theological study and understanding of the church called soteriology. And we would simply say this. That's why we believe in a visible church and an invisible church. I'm not asking you to have invisible friends. We've all been there before. We know what that's like. What I am saying to you is we believe in the distinction between the visible church, that which we see, and we take at heart that everyone who is part of the visible church claims to truly be real. They have a profession of faith. They want to come forth. They explain what's happened in their heart. And we trust that what they say is true. 
until we see something that is explicitly different. But that's not the invisible church. What we mean by invisible is not that there's a bunch of Christians running around that we can't see. They're not an angelic form of what's really happening on earth. The invisible church just means those that truly belong to God and only God knows it. That's his church. What would be so nice is if the visible church and the invisible church were one in the what? Same. That's what we would all like to believe. But with counterfeit Christianity, that's not the truth. There are reasons why people are in church, and we don't have an answer for every one of them and why people are here. But I can tell you that as partakers, we need to be careful. These are the people that are temporarily a part of all that is going on in the goodness of the church. They see how people treat each other. They see what it's like to be kind. They know what it's like to help each other. They hear what it's like to teach the gospel. They know what the morals and the values are that are part. They even change their lives some to agree so that they'll fit in. These are people that in all likeliness look like Christians. But have never trusted in Jesus Christ. I remember when I got on my hands and knees, I won't tell you the whole story, in a chocolate-colored painted room with an orangish-brown colored carpet in front of an old phono stereo and just simply said, Lord, I'm not sure what I need to say or what I need to do, but you know I love you and I want to be used by you and I commit my life to you. I don't know what you've done and I don't know the words you've said, but if you've never reached that point of conviction, I would encourage you, be careful that you're not just a partaker. Partakers will not experience the kingdom of God. Only his children. Well, how do I know? I haven't fallen so far. Well, 2 Timothy 2, write it down, 19, even tells you God knows those that are his. It's between you and God. You know what's happened. You know what's going on in your life. You know what's taking place. Matthew chapter 13 reminds us that there's this understanding of the seed and the soil, that some people receive the word of God. Folks, they are partakers. They receive it with joy and immediately begin to live it out and run with it in their life until they are persecuted or until they heat or until a bird comes to pluck it away. It focuses on the persecution at this point and says, and then listen to this word, falls away. We're told clearly that the seed that has begun to groan and falls away bear no fruit and were not real. 1 John 2.19 tells us they went out from us because they were what? They were never really of us. You know these scriptures. Hebrews is going to take us. He's going to preach to us time and time again to reiterate these over and over and over. It's impossible to fall away from the truth and to be a child of God, to become a non-child of God, and then come back to being a child of God. As a child of God, you can't fall too far. How far is too far? I'll tell you. Mark chapter 3 says it this way. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. You've gone too far. 
the utter rejection of the need for Jesus Christ, the claiming that there's salvation in any other way than what Jesus has laid down, the understanding that you could get to heaven on any other ways than through the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God is blasphemy and it's unforgivable because without Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. If you think you can get to heaven without Christ, you have fallen too far. We must understand the predicament. We must understand who the partakers are. And then he leads us on this journey of understanding what the produce should be. We all know what fruit is like. We all know that produce grows in an inconsistent, ununiform manner. We tried to be gardeners this year with the help of Paula Palmer. We at least had a few things that made it. And those are the only things that she gave us. <laughs> no, we loved it. We, we've enjoyed it. We've pulled out things. But it's made no sense when we planted some seed and got absolutely nothing. And the next seed, rows of sweet corn, the greatest you've ever eaten. And we had peas that I thought were beans when we first started. Or beans that I thought were peas. We've got pumpkins that turned out to be gourds or de decorative pumpkins. What use is that in a garden? I didn't even know they were part of the squash family. And I have melons that have gone from yellow to gray and green. Folks, there's no uniformity around growth. Produce grows as it needs to grow in the right time. And the Bible is telling us and Jesus many times, that a good tree bears what? Good fruit. But it never tells us when it's going to happen precisely. You can't say, as I would have said with eight children, that when they're at their seventh birthday, three months in, two weeks down the road, they're coming before the session. Like it or not, that didn't happen. You can't say that out of the five children you have, they'll all get the same jobs at the same time, graduate the same way, and bear fruit for the Lord the same manner. We're children, children of God, and we grow differently. Let's let God determine the heart. Yes, we look at actions. The whole point of my garden is asking everybody else, hey, when do I pick this? Hey, when do I know this thing is ready? When do I know I'm not going to miss the benefit? It's amazing how many answers I've gotten. <laughs> Let me just put the in summary. It just depends. Some would tell you to take the fruit, cuddle it, hold it, rub it, move it around, See how it feels. Some would say, well, just tug on it a little bit. Some would say, well, if it started turning colors, something's wrong. Have the bugs eaten it yet? I mean, I've had every answer. And the point simply is, Jerry, only you are going to learn what's right. Pastor, am I okay with God? Did, did I say it right Am I okay? Am I saved? Have I done what is necessary? 
It depends. Some of you need to be cuddled, cared for, and loved on a little extra. Some of you just need to be tugged on and pulled on. And others of you have changed colors. Frustrated, mad, blue, sick, cold, whatever it is. Green because you're going to puke. Whatever color you're going to be. And the truth of it is, the writer simply says, we are fruit. The scary part is this. Bad fruit comes from what? Good fruit comes from what? Only you know what kind of roots you have. But we only know by the fruit you bear. And when the fruit doesn't seem to match the root, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you may have gone too far. Only you know. If you thought you could be saved in a way that is different than through Jesus Christ, you've gone too far. Because we are reminded not only of that, but all of us who profess the truth is because we possess it. You see, when it matches the two, what a wonderful blessing. When I say that something is real in my life, and it is, I'm not threatened by that at all. When you ask me about the truth in my life, I'm not threatened by that at all. I've shared before with you that when I would go to some of my mission training throughout years ago, and they would put us into accountability groups, one of the first questions they would always want to ask me is, have you been faithful to your wife? First time I was asked that question in the group, I was kind of like, well, what do you mean? As if, well, did someone tell you something that happened that this happened? I mean, was something happened? Is my wife upset with me? I mean, why are we talking about my wife here? But as I looked around the room, I caught very clearly, and after a few moments of responses, I realized, am I in the minority of the missionaries who are serving the Lord and are trying to be faithful to their spouse? I couldn't tell you how many no's I've heard over the years. Which immediately led to prayer, encouragement, support. I will faithfully tell you I've never had a no. We've made rules in my life to help me because I'm probably, as Paul would say, a greater sinner than you. I've patterned my life, protected it in many ways so that I wouldn't be in a predicament at times. But do you see, if the truth is in you, you don't care if someone asks. If you were to come up to me today and say, you know what, Pastor, I just want to know if you've been faithful to your wife, I would without hesitation be able to say what? Yes. I love my wife. Not as much as she loves me, but I love my wife. But if there was something wrong there and you said, well, hey, Jerry, how are things going with you and Stacy? Why? Why does it matter? I mean, what do you want to know? Why do you care what's going on in my life? I mean, what do you have to be nosy for? What, is she upset about that? I mean, it would be the normal response because something doesn't match. If I asked you, how's your relationship with your children? Oh, man, it's good. We've enjoyed some golfing and some football games and some activity of 
time together in devotion. There's no threat when it matches. Well, how are you doing with your children? Oh, I don't know. You know how these parents. I don't even want to talk about things like that. Sometimes, I mean, what, what, who's, what's going on? Is there something that needs? It's like, wow. Folks, but when the truth matches, the writer of Hebrews is saying, we're in a predicament. Because we have so much counter-Christianity, counterfeit Christianity going on. They were surrounded by a bunch of partakers. People who just come to church when they need something or want something or have something. Or it was the beginning of a new direction for a certain amount of time. Or to get them over the hump or to get them through a hard time. It's become the group where we just reach out because Christians help. Christians love. Christians give. They've become partakers and he looks out there and he says, if you're one of them, I'm glad I could help you. But you're never going to make it to heaven. On the gifts and the goodness of church people. I couldn't commend our deacon ministries, food bank ministries, and how they've helped people since we've been here. I appreciate every one of you who have supported the ministries. Every week, it seems to go up more and more. If you weren't here last Sunday, I, I couldn't tell you yesterday how many cars we had. I'm sure somebody kept track. How many families we went through. How much dog food, cat food, treats, watermelon, peppers, gardening. And it wasn't all from my garden. And down the line, as we went, man, from hot dogs to steaks to beef dogs to hamburgers to folks, we loaded car after car and family after family And maybe to a bunch of partakers who we just assume are going to be in heaven because they came to the food bank and we helped them. When do we ask, but where are you in your relationship with Jesus Christ? We can feed you this week. But there's one who could feed you for the rest of your life. You can be more than a partaker. Not all, Romans tells us, who are descended of Israel belong to the Israel of God. Only the children of faith become the children of Abraham, not just those born of him. On and on we learn the importance of Jesus' parable of the soils, the tenants. And we're even told that nobody puts their hands to the plow and then turns back in this fit for the kingdom. There's a predicament going on. We're full of a bunch of partakers. We're looking to see what the produce really is. And then he ends with this wonderful section of a parable and this perseverance and patience. Listen to this. The land that is drunk, verse 7, the rain that often falls and produces the crop useful for whose sake it cultivated receives a blessing from God. He jumps down, verse 10, for God is not unjust to overlook. Now listen, the work and the love that you have what? Circled that word, keep it in your Bible and highlight it. James uses the exact same word when we talk about showing the faith is the exact same word that we get from James when we begin to 
Think about this word, this indoxeste. It's this middle passive of what we have shown of what is the glory of God and it has come out. James would simply say it this way. Well, show me your works by your faith and I'll show you my faith what? By my works. I'll show them. That's that same word. It's the same word of the glory of God that comes out. He's saying, Christians, I'll tell you how you know you haven't fallen too far. Because your life tells the truth. There's eventually good fruit. It may not grow evenly and it may not grow all the time, but it's growing. You're showing what it is for the kingdom of God. There's patience involved. It's called perseverance of the saints. Look at verse 12. That you may not be sluggish but imitators who through faith and patience, that's the word for perseverance, inherit the promises of God. If you're here this morning and asking yourself, how much longer, pastor? How much more do we put up with? How much more do we take? Be patient. Be patient. Persevere. Only God knows. And only God has the right to determine who's part of the invisible church. We'd like to see you in the visible church. And I'd like to know and to hear your testimony of how God's changed you. Because we go back to the beginning when we realize it is impossible to restore them again to repentance. Because if your mind has never been changed, metanoia, then you've only become a metachoi. That's the word that is used when we are companions of the Holy Spirit. If you look at verse 4, it says they have shared in the Holy Spirit. It's the word for a companion. And the companions of Christ aren't necessarily saved. There were many people that we were told that Jesus even went to and reminded us over and over again. Because there were people who had tasted of the heavenly, had been enlightened, had tasted of the goodness of come, who had shared in the Holy Spirit. You might ask what I'm talking about. Do you remember when we are told in Matthew when it says this, Lord, have we not commanded the demons to come out? Have we not cast out? Have we not done the good works? Have we not demonstrated the Holy Spirit? And do you remember what Jesus said? Many, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I'm going to say, depart from me, I never, and never is how long? I never knew you, because it would be impossible for me to know you, not know you, and know you again. Does the Lord know you? Where are you? In showing your faith. Where are you in your patience? Listen to his words. I pray this, verse 12, that you may not be sluggish. Have you slowed down in your Christian walk? Are you pushing the limits? Oh, I started out good. I know things were great. But you know, over time, you know how it is with everything. 
He said, listen, I want you to press on through faith. Revelation 2 said it this way. You have fallen out of love with Jesus. You need to return to your first love and do the works that you did at first. I remember when Scott Blue, quadriplegic friend of ours, preached that sermon titled at a seminary one year. He asked me if he could use the title. He preached an award-winning scholarship sermon at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary when he preached the sermon, When You've Fallen Out of Love with Jesus. And this is what he preached. And he went to Revelation and said, well, then repent and return and do the things you did at first. Because if you truly belong to Jesus, you've never fallen too far. That's how you know. Second Corinthians 13 simply says, test yourself to see whether or not you pass the test. Whether or not Christ is indeed in you, unless indeed you fail the test. The preacher of Hebrews this morning says we're in a predicament. Counterfeit Christianity is full of a lot of people that just come to partake. They don't have a lot of produce. And I don't see much perseverance. And that's what we need. I challenge you this morning. Have you fallen too far? Only if you see any other way than by coming through Jesus Christ. Falling prostrate before him. Confessing your sins. And placing your faith in him. In that case, you know you'll never be cast out. From Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the words that you give us, the truth, the challenge we have before us, Lord, that for those who are counterfeit, that we would be brought to conviction of the preaching of the Holy Spirit, his work in our hearts, and that we would realize the need to truly bear good fruit, that it only comes in a personal relationship your son Jesus Christ but for those of us who are your children Lord thank you for stirring it up within us thank you for helping us overcome our slothfulness our laziness help us to tug us along the way to encourage us and to help us persevere Lord increase our faith so that we can go forward and change this world for your kingdom we ask it through the name of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now let me give you a benediction. Paul simply said, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's children said, have a great Lord's Day.